If I asked you to name the best swimmer in the world, who's the first person that comes to mind? If you're like most people, I'm guessing you immediately thought of Michael Phelps, and for good reason. He's not only the most decorated international swimmer of all time, but also the most decorated Olympian of any kind. But when you start to look at his competition finishing results, things start to get a little more interesting. Hey, Jeremy here, and you're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. In this episode, we're going to be talking about why you absolutely must be the very best in the world at the thing that you do. But don't worry, it's actually easier than you think. So back to Michael Phelps. When we look at his finishes by race category, we very quickly see that while he was flat out dominant in some races, the 200 meter butterfly, for example, there are others like the 100 meter freestyle where he's never actually meddled at the international level. And don't forget, this is all short distance swimming in the pool. What about when it comes to open water or endurance swimming? Is Michael Phelps still the single best swimmer in the world when we account for these other factors? I don't think so. I think that there are actually very many best swimmers in the world, depending on how you break it down. Of course, you're probably wondering what Michael Phelps competition results have to do with you and growing an audience around your wellness business. I mentioned at the start that it's essential for you to become the very best in the world at what it is that you do. If you're like me, you hear that and your palms immediately start to sweat with the pressure. It feels like the only way to become the best in the world is to make sacrifices, to give up on having any kind of social life, neglect your relationships, and put everything else on the back burner for maybe years or even decades at a time as you hone your craft and develop your skills. And if you're also like me, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. And it may even seem like the payoff of becoming the best in the world might not be worth the sacrifice. But what if being the best in the world wasn't actually about sacrificing everything else in your life in favor of single-minded focus and years of work, but instead about shifting the focus of your work and marketing? What if you could become the best in the world at the thing you do six weeks from now? Or what if you already were the best in the world and you just didn't know it? You've probably heard that niching is essential when it comes to building an audience and growing a successful business. But most of us, including me, I'll admit, uh, we resist niching for a long time. Or when we actually do commit to niching, we don't actually niche down far enough. For myself, it took me three and a half years before I finally committed to serving purpose-driven wellness experts and entrepreneurs with my podcast agency, Counterweight Creative. And it was only when I realized that almost all of our clients were already in that wellness space that I finally decided to double down on it. And really, at this point, it just made practical sense. We knew their content. We had a network of people to refer them to, both for podcast guests, as well as cross-promotion opportunities, other service providers who worked with wellness business owners. We understood their goals and how their businesses operated and more. At this point, I had already been thinking about niching down uh, into that wellness space for probably two years. And now looking back, I really wish I had committed to it earlier. In that two-year stretch where I was resisting niching down into the wellness space, I didn't actually land any new clients that I wouldn't have if I had committed to the niche. And I think that that's the fear with a lot of us when we are resisting niching. We think that if we niche down, we're going to turn all these other people away. Well, those all, all those other people that I would have been worried about turning away, they didn't show up anyway. All the new people were already in the niche that I was resisting niching down into. 
And the funny thing is that now that I have niched down, I've also actually started getting more interest from people and companies outside the wellness niche, people I thought would be turned off by being so specific about who we serve. And in reality, getting clear on who we were serving and working with allowed us to tighten up every single aspect of our service and improve the experience of working with us for all of our clients. And as a result, word spread, even outside of the niche. This, I think, is one of the big misconceptions about niching. It doesn't mean that you are not going to work with people outside of your niche, although it might, depending on how your business operates. It just means that you're directing the majority or even all of your marketing attention to people in that niche. And if people come along and want to work with you, you can still choose to work with them. And that very often happens with businesses that do niche down. The problem with not niching is that you are effectively agreeing to compete with everyone else who offers the same services and products that you do. At this point, you are basically a commodity, which not only makes it really hard to stand out and attract new clients, but it also makes it really hard to charge what you're worth. By narrowing your focus on who you serve, you begin to thin out your competition and your perceived value begins to rise among the people you are seeking to serve. If you narrow down your focus far enough, you'll actually reach a point where you are, in fact, the best in the world for a highly specific group of people. Now, narrowing your way down and becoming the best in the world for a specific group of people usually involves niching across multiple variables, not just one, which is where a lot of people fall short when it comes to niching. Let's say that you are a physiotherapist, for example. There are a lot of physiotherapists out there, and if that's your sole level of specificity, you are probably going to struggle to stand out. But let's say that you live in my hometown of Vancouver, Canada. It might seem obvious, but by committing to work solely with patients in Vancouver, you've reduced the number of people you're competing against from the more than half a million physios in the world down to maybe several dozen who live in Vancouver. That's not a bad start at all. But I think that we can do a little bit better. Let's imagine that one of your favorite hobbies is rock climbing. It just so happens that Vancouver is a huge climbing hub with a very large community of climbers. And it also happens that climbing very regularly leads to injuries that actually require physiotherapy. So what if you decided that you were going to specialize in treating climbing injuries for the Vancouver climbing community? Since you're already an active member of that climbing community, you're probably going to have a big head start in finding patients who are in that niche. And then as you work your way towards specializing more and more in treating climbing injuries because you're getting more and more of them, chances are you are going to get your patients better and better results as you get more familiar with the issues that they're facing. As they get better results, then they are going to recommend you more and more to their climbing friends. And as long as you keep getting everyone that you're working with results, word is going to continue to spread. It just so happens that this physiotherapist is actually a real person. His name is Paolo, and I have a lot of climbing friends in Vancouver who insist on going to him, and they really speak about him with this level of reverence. Seriously. People will wait months and months and months for a 30-minute appointment, and there is this whole system within the climbing community of trading appointment slots if you can't make one because you do not want to give up that slot. This is the power of niching and becoming the best in the world. In this example, there is no better person in the world than Paolo for serving the Vancouver climbing community. So let's get back to you and your niche. 
Of course, being the best in the world at something for which people are unwilling to pay for or which lacks an audience big enough to support you, uh, this is something that Seth Godin calls the minimum viable audience. This doesn't do you any good in helping you make a living. But narrowing down to the point where you conceivably have the ability to become the best in the world to a certain specific group of people is where I usually encourage people to start. So as you're narrowing down your focus on a number of different variables, you might find a point at which you are already the best in the world. If this audience meets that minimum viable audience where that community of people, that group of people can actually support you, your job is then to double down on them and get the word out that you exist specifically to serve them. If they don't meet the minimum viable audience, if there are not enough people in that group where you've narrowed your focus down to, then you're going to need to expand that a little bit outward degree by degree until you find an audience that does meet that threshold where there are enough people willing to pay that you could actually make a living off of it. At this point, the issue may be that you are no longer the best in the world at serving that group of people. But this is okay, because chances are, if you're willing to put in the work, you probably could be. In so many niches, the kind of incumbent best in the world, the best option for people who are dealing with a certain problem, they're often generic mass market default options. And really, the only reason that these incumbents are the best option for that niche at that moment is because no one else has actually come along and paid attention to that group of people directly, familiarly, and intimately. This is your and all of our opportunity. Keep in mind that when it comes to niching down and choosing who you are wanting to appeal to and target, uh, you get to choose the variables that you use to drill down and identify your best in the world audience. These could be obvious things like demographics, uh, age, gender, ethnicity, location, or psychographics, where you are appealing to groups of people who think and believe and see the world in a certain way. It's worth noting that the narrower you aim in some measures, the broader you can aim on others. As such, if you are a nutritionist specializing in working with 30 to 40-year-old trans women athletes, it doesn't really matter if you don't know any of those people in your hometown. By aiming narrowly enough, word will more quickly spread within that community online, which almost certainly exists, regardless of physical location, and your meal plans will become the obvious choice for that group of people. It's not even really about the meal plans being better or more specifically customized than those of any other nutritionist out there, even one who works with other triathletes in the same age range. The point is that you understand your clients, their goals, and their challenges better than anyone else, and you can actually support them because of that beyond the actual product or service that they're paying for. This makes you really, really, really invaluable to them and makes you and your services and your products worth paying a premium for. It's because you have that understanding of who they are and what they're working towards. This is really what it means to be the best in the world for a specific group of people. And when you're the best in the world, word spreads fast. I'll be back to wrap up this episode and pose a question to you. But first, a word from our sponsor. We've talked before on this podcast about the importance of having an exposure system for your business, a way to get out in front of people and tell them about who you are. One of the best and most reliable exposure systems that I found is guesting on other people's podcasts. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and pull them back to your content. 
Now, I've put together a free mini course to help you understand exactly how to target the right shows for you and your message and make pitches that actually get you booked on the shows you want. To sign up for this course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts regarding this episode and invite you into the conversation. So my question for you for this episode is, if you had to pick a group of people for whom you were going to be the hands down best in the world, who would those people be? For me, it's creative wellness experts looking to grow their online businesses. For you, it's going to be some group of people that is entirely unique. You can head over to betterwellness.biz voice to leave me a short audio message that I'd love to feature on an upcoming episode. You can find the show notes for this episode at betterwellness.biz slash 005 for links, a chart of Michael Phelps career international competition placements and more. In the next episode, I'll be interviewing Cher Hale from Ginkgo PR on how to pitch and leverage the media to grow your exposure and authority. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope things are good in your world. And until next time, keep building better. Better.